Welcome to the Hunt the West podcast, where it's all about getting outside, experiencing the outdoors, and having epic adventures. At Hunt the West, my number one goal for you is to get out and hunt. Welcome to the show. I'm Skylar Harrison, and today we're going to be talking about conquering the crowds in public land. So I've got a few tips for those of us who are hunting public land, and it can be crowded, and there's there's some unique challenges and ups obstacles that we face when we're hunting in these crowded public land areas. Game tends to be more scarce in public land. It gets moved around a lot, not just by hunters or, you know, during season, but hikers, bikers, off-roaders, birders, backpackers, other, other public land users. Keep in mind that most of these people are not going to be t- paying attention to their noise or their scent or whether they're skylined on a ridge, they could be easily seen. So it can be like pretty frustrating when you're out there, you know, watching a group of deer, waiting for the right opportunity, only for them to be spooked by a non-hunter or even a hunter. So today we're going to be talking about some ways to help you get away from the crowds, how to manage it, and hopefully you get some value out of it so you can get out and hunt the public land wherever you live. So the first thing we're going to talk about is using maps. So I've used Onyx maps. I actually recently switched to Go Hunt maps. I like them both. But in whatever mapping software you use, um, you can drop waypoints and you can scout and look at the train and look at the boundaries and stuff. One of the ways that I like to use mapping software is to mark the high traffic areas on the map, March, mark those major roads, Mark the trailhead, the trailheads, and where the most heavily trafficked areas are going to be. Um, I like to mark the access points too, and and you can even imagine or draw out a fan shape. You know where people are likely to congregate. So you can think of hunters and non-hunters when you do this too. So hunters are going to be off trail. Um, non-hunters tend tend to stay close to those trails. Um, and then the other thing to think about when, when you're looking at the train and marking these high traffic areas are that hunters are going to be drawn to those glassing knobs, clearings, meadows, places where they can see more. So if there is a glassing knob within a mile of a trailhead, mark that. And you can pretty much guarantee that on opening day, there's going to be someone up there perched on it. I found that about three miles is the line where you tend to see a lot fewer people. If you run into people past three miles, it's pretty rare and uh, they're, they're usually pretty cool. So I'll talk about how to deal with people when you inevitably do run into them. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but uh, let's keep talking about mapping and and using your maps to scout. So mark these areas on the map that you'll start seeing and you'll start seeing these natural voids in the map where game is likely to congregate when they get pressured. So if you mark those high area, the high pressure areas, the spaces in between those areas are when or where the the game is probably going to be. It's not a guarantee though, obviously. One um there one of my deer spots is about a 3 mile hike in. And there is this natural plateau where multiple trails meet. So it's really like three miles in from that spot um, that you don't ever see people off trail. You know, it's not three miles from the trailhead. It's three miles from that natural congregating point that's already three miles in. So anyway, the these are just kind of guidelines, things to think about. And the reason that that spot is 
kind of the exception to a rule is there's multiple ways to access that area. And about three miles in, you are at a natural fork in the road where people are accessing it from other sides of the mountain, other trailheads, other major roads. So you got to think about that too. You can't just walk three miles away from a trailhead. You might be walking toward another trailhead. So keep that in mind. And the map can kind of help you figure those things out. And you'll see that um, as you mark those things on the map, those areas will start to overlap. So don't just choose the the one that you're planning on using. You got to look at the other access points for that area and you'll start seeing um, the correlation. Anyway, yeah, so that's the, the first thing is just use those maps. Try and figure out where people are going to be. The All your competition, all the hunters are using the exact same mapping software. They're looking at the same satellite imagery. They're looking at the same public land boundaries. So they're going to kind of be thinking the same as you. So just keep that in mind that everyone's using the same map as you. And they're probably going to cue into the same clues that you are. So that brings us to our next one. The next tip I have is talking about barriers to entry. We need to understand that most people are lazy and they want to put in as little effort as possible to finding the game that they're going to hunt. So you need to think outside of the box and find those barriers to entry. If there is a big steep hill next to a road or a trail that nobody's going to want to climb, go and climb it. If there is a steep drop off that nobody wants to climb back up after they go down it, drop in there. If there's like a river crossing or a gorge or something difficult like that to to overcome, that can be huge. And actually, this is one of my favorite things to do because nobody wants to take off their boots off, wade across a deep water and then have to do it again on the way back. Um, another one is t- just taking the hard way in. So here's an example of that. So one of my elk hunting areas has a big band of cliffs with a big boulder field that tends to keep people out. And I have never seen another person beyond that band of boulders. And there are, there are always elk back there too. Imagine that. So I, I've actually seen people on the, on the other side um, because they can access it from a different trailhead that's up higher on the mountain and it kind of loops around onto flatter ground and people can get in there, but it's about a two and a half mile jaunt from that easier access point. So most people don't make it that far. So my access point is actually a lot closer to the road, but because there's that big barrier to entry, there's actually a river crossing right next to the road, then a big boulder field. And then once you get on top of it, it's like the elk Mecca and it's amazing. So I actually hesitate to even describe it too much in detail because I don't know, one of you might figure it out, but anyway, it's a nice spot. So by finding these places that are hard to access like that, you can give yourself the best shot. So find those barriers to entry, overcome them, you know, whether it's river crossings, steep climbs or steep descents, bushwhacking. That's one of the things that I actually don't <laughs> do is if the, especially oak brush, like oak brush is the worst. If there's oak brush, I'm not bushwhacking through that. I've been in way too many situations where I'm just getting scraped up and just eaten alive by that oak brush. And that's one of those barriers to entry. If you can, if you can get through it, you're probably going to get into some good hunting grounds. So anyway, overcome those barriers to entry and you might just find a sweet honey hole. All right, so let's talk about off-peak times. So when you plan your hunt can make a big difference in the number of people you see. The more people there are, the more chance of someone screwing up your hunt. Obviously, that is the case. So if possible, 
you can choose midweek days and avoid holidays. Sometimes that's just the way it is. You get work off when you can and you got to be there when you can. I say it's better to be out there on Labor Day weekend if that's your only opportunity to get away from work. You need to do it. But if you can, hunting that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, those can be some of the best chances. Things tend to be a little bit calmer. There's fewer ATVers, bikers, stuff like that. And then um, fewer hunters too. Opening day is obviously going to be the worst as far as pressure goes, typically. And the animals' patterns can change just after that day because it can get a little wild, especially on rifle, the rifle opener. But also, if you find a spot that hasn't been touched and you get there early, opening day can be the best because nobody's gotten into it quite yet. You just have to get there first. That's the, that's the catch there. I really like a lot arriving a day or two before opening day if I can and setting up camp, getting on that glassing knob. So if somebody does come into that area around the same time, they'll see your camp, see that you're up on the knob and hopefully, anyway, hopefully avoid your hunting grounds. It's not a guarantee though. I know, um, a lot of times there's just not way, any way to avoid it. Like opening days is busy. And I know of people who don't even hunt opening day because it can be chaotic, especially on those longer seasons, you can afford to just miss opening day and you're, you'll still have some good hunting opportunities. Um, but, and that's especially true for the, the rifle open, opener, but those seasons tend to be a little bit shorter. But for me, I think that the animals are pretty much going to do the same thing they did before opening day on opening day, unless people move in there too early and it's going to be, you know, then it's going to be a little bit more difficult to find and assess those patterns after, you know, all the chaos of opening day has ensued. So choose off-peak times if you can. It will help with the crowds. And it's just fewer factors to deal with when there's when there's less people. So what, now that brings us to our next one, which is dealing with people. So we've talked about how to avoid people a little bit with scouting and choosing off-peak times. But let's talk about what to do when you do encounter people because there's no way to avoid it. Um, and actually, sometimes you can use it to your advantage. No matter what, you're going to run into people it's just part of public public land hunting. Um, you can do everything right, put yourself in a position where you're least likely to encounter people, but it's still going to happen. And if you do run into people, say you follow all those things that were talked about, you know, you're on the other side of a big river, you're on a steep climb, it's Tuesday, you're five miles away from any road or trailhead, and you chances are if you run into somebody, they're going to be a listener to this podcast, right? So they're probably pretty cool. But in all seriousness, more and more people are accessing the backcountry than ever. Plus, if you're going to be finding animals, chances are someone else is going to be looking at them too and is going is trying to be looking for them and they're going to find them. So you can't always be alone back there, although it is nice when you are. So what do you do when you find someone? There are a bunch of different scenarios. Obviously, everything's going to be a little bit different, but I want to go over a few scenarios and I think uh, how the best way to handle them is. So, uh, let's say I'm creeping through the woods and I, somebody's like pretty close, like a few hundred yards. You obviously see each other. In most cases, I'm going to make contact. You know, I'm going to walk over there, give them a wave, say, Hey, and that conversation use, usually goes something like this. Hey, how's it going? Where are you headed? So I don't mess up your hunt. That's usually how I like to start it off. And, uh, because, you know, I'll usually defer to them and let them have first dibs. If, if they give specifics like, Hey, I'm headed up this Ridge to that Rocky knob. And I was going to glass that base into the North. Then I'll be like, sweet. I'll go somewhere else. I'm camped down here. 
and I'm in here for the next two days. I'll try and stay out of that area. And then uh, if they don't give specifics, if they're like, oh, I'm just going to go up this way, see if I see anything, that's when I, then I'm going to give specifics and say, okay, great, I'm going this way. I'm planning on still hunting through that next basin. I'll stay out of your way. And I'm going to tell you where I'm camped to, um, just so we don't step on each other's toes. My camp's just beyond that patch of aspens over there. I'll be in this area today and tomorrow. So good luck. And usually that's how those conversations go. Um, I've never had any issues with talking when I talk to people in the backcountry. It usually goes really well. And nine times out of 10, you're going to be become buddies with them and exchange intel. And it's actually kind of nice because I, I've run into the same people year after year where they put their camp in the same spot and you run into them again. You're like, Hey, yeah, I saw you last year. What do you, what have you been seeing? And we don't have to, you know, <laughs> camp together and rub each other's back or whatever, but you can exchange little details and say, Hey, I'm, I saw this happening or, you know, that big buck or whatever you can make friends. And then, uh, usually, you know, it's nice when you get something down, sometimes they'll help you pack it out. It'll be great. So that's best case scenario. And that's usually what happens. You guys like usually when you talk to somebody, when you come across them in the back country, it's going to go well. So the next scenario is pretty similar, but you have to be a little bit more assertive about it, but it usually ends up the same way as scenario one. So this is like at a, a trailhead or some other natural starting point and you show up, you know, at the same time, say it's zero dark 30 before opening day or you're hiking in, um, in this scenario, I think it's sort of first come, first serve, depending on the situation. Um, you might have the exact same conversation at the trailhead right there. Be like, hey, where are you headed? So I don't step on your toes. But depending on how tight that area is, I don't necessarily think you have to say anything. But, you know, so if it's like a small chunk of public land and you know that it's it's pretty limited on space, you're way better off talking to them and, and getting an idea of where they're going to be. But if it's a, say it's a big network of trail systems, it's a national forest, there's lots of different ways people can go. I, I say get out of there quickly and head to your spot as soon as you can and try and leave them in the dust. Um, not, I don't, I don't want to reveal my spot to somebody who, if, if I don't have to, and it's not obvious, you know, when you're standing in your spot, you know, you hiked three miles back and you're like, uh, I don't want to tell you where I'm going. They're like, well, I could probably guess it's probably within a mile of here. Right. So, you know, there's just certain situations where they've already found your spot. They're in it. And there's certain situations where they might see where you're starting, but they don't know your actual spot. So depending on how big that area is, what the, the trail systems are like, I don't think you necessarily have to talk to everybody, but in a, in a lot of cases you can just be a little bit more discreet and just say, hey, which trail are you taking? And then um, just play it by feel. Um, so yeah, in, in those situations, um, to, if it's a big area with a complex trail system in a, in a, you know, thousands of acres, I say, leave them in the dust. Don't give away your spot. Honey, those honey holes are hard to come by. So if you have a plan and you don't want to reveal that to anyone at the trailhead, I, I don't think you should unless you feel like you need to. So let's say you're second to the spot and you see somebody has just left the trailhead, you know, they're full camo holding the bow or whatever. Um, and they take off from the trailhead. I usually just keep an eye on them and try and guess where they're going to go. And if they're heading the same direction as you, I, I usually just stick to my plan and, and, uh, I'd be ready for plan B if I end up seeing that they're a little bit too close to my spot for comfort. Um, 
but you know, it's going to be worse for both of us if we're in the same spot. So you just got to play those situations out by ear. Think about how, how big the area is, what the trail systems are, are like. And this is where your studying of maps can really come in handy if you're familiar with the area. So now let's talk about a third scenario. So let's say that you're, you're back there in an area, you're in your spot and you see somebody and they're not close enough to talk to. Like you glass them up across the ridge. They're staring at the same basin of you from the other side. <laughs> this is sort of a bummer. Um, uh, and you have to be smart about it. And I think a good guiding principle is just don't screw up their hunt, but expect them to screw yours up. The way that that can kind of play out is you're obviously looking at the same group of deer, you know, you're glassing the same basin. You're just, you can't communicate to each other. Um, if you see them making a move, just stay back. But if you start to make your move first, I would keep two ideas in your head at the same time. And the first idea is, you know, they might not even see what you're looking at. So just pretend they aren't there and just continue with your stock. But simultaneously, you want the second thought in your head. They are also going to be moving in on the same group of animals as you. And they might have bumped you, bumped the, the deer before you even get there. I mean, I, I think that's kind of good practice anyway, when you start a stock or you start moving in on something, expect them to be where you left them, but also expect them to have moved just kind of at the same time. Um, keep your head on a swivel and expect them to have already moved. I don't know. It's, it's kind of, you, you kind of have to hold both ideas in your head at the same time. And I think this is especially true, you know, that scenario where you see somebody far away, it, it it's especially true for rifle hunting. It's like, you see an opportunity, you got to hustle. You got to make it over there first because if you make it there first, you win. And with a rifle, if you're moving in on them at the same time, two groups, it's kind of like a race. And I mean, obviously you don't want to rush the stock or blow them out because you're going too fast. You need to make a good stock, but don't blow out the whole area because just because you're trying to beat another group of hunters, what sometimes feels like an urgent situation can really like, really you do have time. So there's always a chance that they also do they don't see exactly what you see. So uh, to, to play off that scenario, let's talk about some, some of the scenarios you can use other hunt where you can use other hunters to your advantage. So this usually happens when you see another hunting, uh, a hunter moving in on a group of deer or elk before you can get there. Um, what I try and do is get to the exit, find those um, escape corridors. A lot of the times their, their stock is just going to be blown and you can capitalize on those exit corridors, those saddles, and those getting a good ambush ambush area for those spooked animals. Um, I've had this scenario multiple times where I see some hunters traveling and you know that they don't see the group of deer or elk that you're watching. And you'll be watching them and be like, oh man, they're going to walk right into that herd. They don't see them or they're, you know, there's a ridge in their way. Uh, but, and what I try and do is just guess where they're going to go. So you can, you can learn a ton about deer and elk just by watching where and how they spook, how hard they spook. And if they just heard something or if they smelled something, my experience is when they smell you, they go a lot farther than if they heard or saw something. So pay attention to the wind, watch where, what those animals are doing and, and understand what the wind is doing wherever the people you're watching are. So there's a group of hikers walking up a ridge. You know, they're probably going to be seen or skylined by the animals down below um, and watch what they do. 
understand what time of day it is, if the thermals are going up or if they're coming down and know what those animals are, are sensing. Are they sensing the, the sound? Are the people being really loud? Are they, uh, are they downwind? So do they, did they get smelled? And then watch what the animals do when they spook. I, I really want to emphasize understanding the deer or elk movement um, just by how they spook. So you'll learn those travel corridors and how they use the landscape when they feel pressure or when they feel danger. And like, it's the same whether it's people or predators, you know, coyotes. I've watched different deer from different years spook through the exact same travel corridors when they see people or when they see coyotes. Like then you can go and look at those areas on on foot when there aren't any deer in there, you can go in there and be like, okay, this is their, that travel area. This is where they always go when, when they're spooked. And then you look around that area and you can really understand why they choose that area to flee. Things look a lot different when you are actually standing in them as opposed from, you know, to when you're glassing it from far away. That is one way that you can just really understand the movement and patterns of deer is just by understanding where they go when they get spooked. Because they're going to have their primary area where they hang out, where they like to feed, their primary bedding areas. And then you can see where their second choice is. When they get spooked, where do they go? And then in the morning after or whatever, you're like, okay, they got spooked last night. They're over here now. Now where do they feed when they're getting pressured? Where do they choose to bed when they feel pressured? And you'll just you'll notice those patterns. And within two to three days, you're going to understand that area really, really well. You're going to see deer and elk in the same areas as they were and you're going to be able to get an, a nice understanding of what deer tend to do in that area and it honestly even if there's different deer in there the next year it's going to be pretty similar i've, I've seen year after year deer using the same beds the same travel corridors the, tr- the same escape routes and you can find new trails that way too you're like oh my gosh i didn't know those two patches of trees connected or i didn't know there was a pathway underneath that cliff and you'll see the deer using them year after year, which is really, really cool. And sometimes you can use them yourself too. What looks totally impassable. This has happened before where I'm like, I didn't know that was possible to go up there because you're looking at the steep hillside, like gravel, that rock that is sliding off, you know, rock shoots. And then there'll be like a little patch of trees and you'll see a little fold in landscape because a deer walked through it and you didn't even understand that there was a pathway there. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I can use that too on my stocks, you know? So it really helps you to just just pay attention and watch those those um, travel corridors, and then afterwards go and look at them and walk through them and you and see what it's really like over there. You, and what tends to happen is you find beds that you didn't know existed. You find little trails and offshoots that you didn't know existed, and you'll really understand the landscape a lot better if you do that. So anyway, that is my quick and dirty version of how to avoid people, how to use uh, the crowds in the public lands to your advantage. So let's do a little recap. So we want to scout using our maps, find those high traffic areas, mark them on the map, and then find the holes in between. We want to utilize barriers to entry to our advantage. Really steep climbs and descents, river crossings, go where people don't want to go. Take the hard way, not the easy way. And then um, get in the way, you know, the one of those barriers to entry can just be distance. So be willing and and physically capable enough to go farther than the average person. And you're going to be in where the elk and deer are. You want to use 
off-peak times. Try and avoid weekends and holidays if you can. Obviously, you're going to see less people. It's going to be a little bit easier to avoid crowds when they're when you know when it's the middle of the week. And then when you do encounter people, um, we talked about how to handle those situations. So try and be courteous. Try and not screw up other people's hunts. But at the same time, um, you don't have to share everything with people that you come into at the, at the trailhead. So play those situations out and hopefully you can gain some more intel and and uh, have a su- successful hunt. So anyway, I hope you got something good out of that episode. If you did, please consider supporting the show by purchasing some swag at huntthewest.us. There is still a limited time camo logo t-shirt, which I think is pretty awesome. It's only available until the end of June. And then we also have the infamous Lithuanian bot hats that are offered at a discount right now. So uh, if you get value out of the show, please consider supporting in that way. But if you don't want to spend money, please leave a rating and a review on the podcast app. That's a free way to support the show and I'd really appreciate it. So I hope this will help you conquer the crowds when out hunting public land. It's for all of us. Public land is amazing. We are blessed to live in a country where we have access to beautiful land with wildlife to hunt. It's an incredible place, incredible country, but we do have to share it with everyone. So hopefully this will help you get out there on public land, conquer the crowds so you can get out there and hunt the West. 